the animation podcast, September 12th, 2005. Go infinity! 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 I'm just drawn that way. I'd like to work with you if you don't mind. You will join me for dinner. Oh, goody. Now it's like this, little britches. And beyond. Hey, everybody, this is Clay. Welcome to show number seven of the Animation Podcast. This show is part one of my interview with two guys that have worked together for so long. They are most often referred to with one singular title, Ron and John. You could describe them without exaggerating as monumental characters in the landscape of modern animation. I feel like anyone who has enjoyed any success in feature animation over the last 20 years owes a great deal of gratitude to Ron and John because if you trace the current popularity of animated movies back far enough, you will find that it all began to build with a little film they directed that showed Disney was still capable of solid storytelling called The Great Mouse Detective. After that, they took us under the sea in The Little Mermaid, on a magic carpet ride in Aladdin, to the top of Mount Olympus in Hercules, and on an interstellar voyage to Treasure Planet. I know many of you may have expected the continuation of the Nick Ranieri series, and I promise it will resume in the future, but this is a unique date to say the least, because it is the end of a special time at Disney. I don't know if many people know this, but last Friday was the last day Ron Clements and John Musker worked at Disney Feature Animation. At their farewell party last week, so many people showed up to say goodbye and thank them for what they have done for animation that the event had to be relocated outdoors. I was lucky enough to have worked with Ron and John on Hercules and Treasure Planet, and I know many people share my sadness to see them leave Disney. But we also know that Ron and John will continue to make great films no matter where they go. So definitely, my hat's off to you guys. Thanks for everything. Without taking any more time, I'll let them introduce themselves, and we'll get on with part one. This is Ron Clements. This is John Musker, a markedly different voice. All right. From the Midwestern heartlands, which actually Ron is from too, but I have more of an accent, although I lost it. So you're from Chicago. I am from John. Chicago, yes. I am. Uh, I uh, was born big Irish Catholic family back in Chicago. Most of them were still back there, and I grew up there, and I didn't actually come out to California until I came to school here at CalArts. I'd never been to the state of California even, and I came out here, when I, but I actually went to college back there, so I didn't get out here until I was 20 or 21 or something going to CalArts after I had already gotten a degree oh, uh, so. in English back at Northwestern University back in uh, Evanston, Illinois. Huh. And you, Ron, are from I'm, Sioux City, I'm right? from Sioux City, Iowa, yes. Um, grew up there, and I was never in California until... Um, I think 1973 is when I, I first came out. Um, I worked at a TV station in, in Iowa, in Sioux City, uh, while I was going to high school, and, and I was interested in animation. So I, uh, I talked them into, I had made some Super 8 films that I showed at the TV station. Said, we can do animation. So we rigged an animation um, stand set up at the TV station, and I did a few commercials, animated commercials for the TV station. And then I did my own film because I wanted to do a film. And uh, someone from Los Angeles who knew someone at Hanna-Barbera saw that film. And, and um, I brought the film out and worked, worked at Hanna-Barbera for a few months. And then uh, I found out about the talent development program at Disney and got into that in uh, around 1974. 
Ron used to do exciting things like uh, cartroom drawing, didn't you? Do I did do oh, really? at, at the TV station. I did all kinds of things. I did do once. I did a big murder trial that had been moved mm-hmm. there, um, and I did courtroom drawings <laughs> and tried to figure out how to do that. And, that prepared him for and, his and, um, career at Disney, dealing uh, with murderers. Uh, and, uh, <laughs> I did like slimy for, lawyers. For the station IDs, I, I would draw little things for, you know, station identification, little uh-huh. graphic things. And um, I, I, the big thing was the news because um, every, every day, you know, I didn't know what the stories would come in. They'd kind of know what the stories were like about 3 o'clock in the afternoon. And the newscast there would go on like at 6 o'clock. So I had like a few hours to do the little graphic things that went behind the newsmen as they right. would talk about a fire. I had to draw a fire. <laughs> they talked about a car accident. I could do a car sort of looking like a trash. So that was... That From was another was, that was, era, I'm afraid. That was, that was high pressure, like to uh, to get those graphic things done. In the earliest days of the TV station, those were actually carved in stone tablets <laughs> behind people's heads, and it was a new new deal actually when we did because that key. was chroma key with the blue screen. Uh-huh. The newscaster would just have a have a blue screen behind him, and then you could put anything you wanted behind it. Jokes and things. Mm-hmm. Okay. So then you guys didn't meet until you actually were at Disney. Right. Yeah, even though we're the same age, although actually, despite my wizened appearance, I'm actually six months younger than he is. But um, we didn't meet until I, I started at the studio. Actually, I, I might have yeah, met I, you I when was, I was that intern. When I was yeah, well, I was here before John, and I actually started before uh, the character animation program at CalArts, which started, I think, that started up a couple years after I started at Disney. But I think the first time I met John was... Uh, just as they were getting into the character animation program, and John was interning for, yeah, I was for the summer. Yeah, I was in the summer of uh, 1976. After one year at CalArts, I was sort of invited because they had sort of liked my test, so I got to work with Eric Larson for six weeks during the summer as an intern, so that was great. I wow. did my own little personal test with Eric and, and you know, was introduced to the whole thing. I was obviously interested in Disney because that's why I came out here. I heard the CalArts. I had actually sent my portfolio after I got out of Northwestern, I had majored in English. I was an editorial cartoonist for the paper. I was interested in cartooning, but I hadn't really taken many art classes because I thought sort of drawing was mostly self-taught and you couldn't learn it in school that much anyway. So I sent it. And then I heard Disney was interested. When I was a kid, like seven or eight years old, I was interested in being a Disney animator. Then as I got older, that kind of fell away and I got more interested in other things, including like editorial cartooning and comic books and still drawing-related things, but not so much animation. But then... Um, a couple of things happened. I, I heard uh, Richard Williams talk at the Chicago Film Festival in 72, and he had just finished The Christmas Carol that he worked on with mm-hmm. Chuck Jones, and I thought that was so cool, and he talked about animation as just this intriguing thing, and it sort of reawakened my interest in animation as a possible career even, and then uh, I, Chuck Jones came out to speak at Northwestern just as a part of an animation festival, and again, he spoke so well about animation, it sounded intriguing, and right at that time, the Christopher Finch book came out, The Art of Animation, and they you actually attached faces and names to these characters in, in films that I had seen and it became all, and they talked about a training program for Disney and so I really became more oriented to that so I put together a portfolio that I sent to Disney at, when I was getting out of Northwestern uh, when I was like, what am I going to do? Because I, I didn't really want to go to graduate school because I was afraid I'd become a permanent student and never leave school so I'm <laughs> like, i got to get out in the real working world but so I sent a portfolio to Disney and uh, I had prepared some, uh, they said they wanted drawings of animals and that sort of stuff. And at first I was trying to draw, and it was the winter, because I got out in the middle of the year of my senior year. I got out a little early because I had some credit. So I'm trying to draw these animals, and I'm out in the freezing cold in Chicago, you know, and 
like in the early spring. And I was just like, oh, and it was so bad. I was like, I can't do this. So I went to the Field Museum in Chicago, which is the Natural History Museum. It's mm-hmm. like the one here in Exposition Park. And, you know, of course, the animals are in dioramas. They're they're stuffed. And so when I sent my portfolio to Disney, they they rejected it. And they said, you don't draw well enough and go away. And one of the things they said was, you know, your animal drawings are stiff. And I'm like, well, of course they're stiff. They're not stiff, they're stuffed. I mean, I, I managed to capture that immobile quality that they have. But anyway, they, they rejected them. And then, uh, but then like a week or two later, they had sent me a letter that said, maybe you meant to send this to CalArts, which I never even heard of. Oh, really? And so I was like, CalArts, what's this thing? And so I got some information on the school. I resubmitted, I think, the same portfolio. Mm-hmm. And then it turned out they accepted me to be in this. It was literally the first year of a character animation program that... Disney was more involved in where Jack Hanna was in charge of the program and the teachers included Ken O'Connor who was one of the great art director layout guys here mm-hmm. and uh, uh, T. He, you know, was caricaturist and director and uh, uh, Bill Moore who's a great design teacher from uh, the old Chouinard School and then more recently at Art Center. And anyway, so I, I wound up applying there. I went there and so I went to school at CalArts for two years with, in my class at CalArts, that first year it was uh, Brad Bird and... John Lasseter was my uh, suite mate kind of in, in the dorm, and mm-hmm. Daryl Van Sitters, Nancy Beeman, and uh, Jerry Reese, and uh, Joe Lancicero, and Bruce Morris, Doug Leffler. Anyway, and, and Tim Burton was in the next Tim class. Tim Burton was in the so. second year, yeah, sort of. So um, so it was, yeah, Mike Giamo and Chris Bach were, yeah, like a year behind us. Wow. Uh, yeah. So anyway, so it was... Uh, so we learned a lot from each other at college. That was a great experience for me. As it turned out, I really learned more from people like Daryl and, and uh, Brad and Jerry than, than I necessarily learned from Jack Hanna, although he's a nice guy, but uh, they knew more about animation than I, I really didn't know much at all about animation itself. So, right. uh, And then some people from the studio saw my work after the first year and invited me to be an intern, and then after the second year, I actually started working here. So I started at Disney in uh, May of 77 is when I started, which was maybe like three or four four years after Ron was here, actually. Ron, you'd already worked on um, Pete's Dragon, right? Yeah, I I started, well, when I came in, um, and the way it worked when I started, you had to submit a portfolio to get into the um, uh, talent development program that had only started up more recently. It was really after uh, Jungle Book was a huge success, I think, in the 70s, and that's, I think, the way I heard it, the studio was thinking about maybe shutting down animation after Walt died, because um, the the animators now were still like the the nine old men that were still there, but people were getting close to retirement and whatever, mm-hmm. they were thinking of closing it down. And then Jungle Book was this huge success, so they thought we actually want to keep it going. So they started looking and recruiting people, which they had not done for years and years. And uh, and they had a t- uh, program. So when you you got in the program, you weren't hired permanently. It was like you were hired for four weeks to do a, a personal test, working with Eric Larson, who was, uh, who was in charge of all the, all the young people. And um, you could animate anything you wanted for four weeks uh, working with Eric. And at the end of that time, the review board, which were mostly the, the animators, the older animators, mm-hmm. they would look at your test and decide if they thought you had potential or not. And if you made it through the first four weeks, you went another four weeks same thing again and and um if you made it through eight weeks then you were actually hired on more of a permanent salary so um my first four weeks were really shaky because i was really really nervous but i did better the the second four weeks and um and the first uh project i worked on as uh an in-betweener and assistant was winnie the pooh and tigger two um and then uh while i was working on that i did another personal test 
on my own time, which everyone was encouraged to do, mm -hmm. um, with Cruella de Vil, which, which they liked a lot. And after I did that test, then Frank Thomas asked, asked me if I would apprentice under him as, as an animating assistant, um, a trainee animator, which was um, wow. a, yeah. a huge, huge opportunity. And, and I, I said, let me think about it. <laughs> uh, but um, no, I was, uh, that was really excited about that. And I worked with Frank on The Rescuers. That was the first mm -hmm. um, feature that, that I worked on. Um, I think I worked on it for about two or two and a half years uh, working with Frank Thomas. So I would animate and then I would show him my animation and he would do drawings over my animation and talk about what was good, what was bad, and just kind of mentor me, uh, which is really, I think, a good way to teach animation. Yeah. That That's probably one of the best ways to teach it is to work with an experienced animator um, who can uh, just point out the way to do it. And, right. um, and then I moved on. After, I, after that, I, I was an animator on Pete's Dragon. And then, uh, and then I was a supervising animator on Fox and the Hound, and then I moved out of animation into into story. Right. Um, and, what what uh, character did you do on Fox and the Hound? Well, the character I was assigned on Fox and the Hound was uh, was Big Mama. Um, was typecasting the, the, um, because yeah. she was a pearl Bailey, a, you know, a kind of a, a big, you know, entertaining black woman and then they thought yeah. of pale th Ron thought from of me. City. It, it was, it it was, was somewhat, I, a soulful, you know, and kind of breezy. Uh, I was a natural. Fly. Um, <laughs> yeah. it, it was a perfect fit. Um, he's and so I looked sassy. at so I, I on rescuers I had worked on mice and and uh, swamp folk, but uh, but I researched. I looked at owls. I studied a lot of footage of owls, <laughs> and I studied footage of Pearl Bailey. And uh, but I, I I had a little trouble with the character. It always seemed to me that she wasn't really in the story. She was outside the story, sort of commenting on, on what was happening all the time. So. Mm -hmm. So at a certain point, I, I wanted to try another character, and then I, I did some uh, some of uh, mostly Todd, a little bit of Copper, but adult Todd and, and Copper, right. and that's. No, you did uh, some of the baby too, didn't? He won't ever. Change. Oh yeah, I did. I did some oh, scenes of the, your of, best the scene. of the little of the little the little fox. Yeah, I did some stuff with the little fox and the owl together, uh, where she's singing to him. That uh, character was originally going to be a crow in in Fox and Hound. Probably I was going to play a crow. Mm -hmm. I think they were thinking of a little bit of Dumbo, Dumbo maybe, yeah. but she was like, I ain't going to be a crow. And so, hmm. okay, it's, so they changed it, didn't they, from a crow yeah, to an yeah, owl? They, yeah. yeah, but but that was really fun. I went to recording sessions with her and, 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 and watched her. But that was, but at that time, I, was, I, I enjoyed animation a lot, and, and animation was fun, but I, I was always interested in story as well. And, and um, early, on, early on on Fox and the Hound, I had, I had sort of, wanted to get into story uh but i actually um stayed on fox and the hound until the end before i did move into story mm -hmm. and then i moved into story on the black cauldron uh, i knew john um john worked on fox and the hound too he he was a I was boomer an animator. dinky animator <laughs> boomer and dinky yes i specialized boomer dinky and squeaks actually you're forgetting squeaks the little worm-like character and uh, it was me brad and jerry and cliff nordberg who were doing a lot of that cliff nordberg was uh an older animator who had worked more under Willie Reitherman and was a very cartoony sort of animator. Mm. So he wasn't considered in the ranks of like Frank and Ollie where he, he, he was more intuitive in a way. I mean, he, where he, he would just think this seems funny to me and kind of go with it and wasn't, you know, the angst of, you know, I spent hours worrying about, you know, Sir Hiss and his backstory. Cliff would just be like, well, what does he do in the scene? And you know, let's do it kind of funny. <laughs> and, and he'd been around almost as and long he had as been, them, right? He, actually, he had been. He started, I think, in the 40s and worked on uh, 
Ichabod Mishto did some great scenes of, in the Woolies mm-hmm. unit of like more action. He was known as more of an action comic action. I mean, Frank, Frank was really the opposite of that because yeah. he, he was uh, Chuck Jones once called Frank the Lawrence Olivier of animators, and he was very. Um, for Frank, animation was this unreachable goal. I mean, he once said that, you know, of, of and, and Frank, if people don't know, Frank animated that spaghetti sequence in Lady and the Tramp, mm-hmm. some great stuff with Thumper and Bambi, he did Captain Hook. But he once said that uh, in his whole career, he thought that he only did like three scenes that he, he really turned out right. Wow. So Frank was anguished, but, but that was part of what he enjoyed about it was the torture of, <laughs> of animation. But, right. And uh, Norberg just kind of wrote it out. I mean, he just kind of had fun with it. And he had worked with Ward Kimball and John Sibley and Woolley and people like that. So he was more in People the, with no rules, really. Yeah, no <laughs> rules or very loose rules. And yeah. I mean, Cliff, you know, when I would show him stuff, he would say like, you know, Ward, Ward used to say, you know, there's a, there's a funny picture in this scene. And make sure people see the funny picture, you know. And so you know, a tableau almost that was comic and that sort of thing. But he, mm-hmm. he literally would work over my scenes. I was working, actually I was working on the small one was the first thing I worked on, which was this Christmas featurette that originally uh, Eric Larson was going to direct and Glenn Keane had done some designs on. And then it was thought of as the young people's movie where they were going to get training to go to work on the features. But then uh, I think Don Bluth wasn't happy about the way the direction it was going. And he was in a way, kind of the leader of the young people, except we were, the Cal Arts people were a weird offshoot that he hadn't really anticipated, and I don't think he was a huge fan of particularly, so so we wound up being assigned uh, to Small, and, and we thought, oh great, we're going to work with Eric, and work on these Glenn Keane designs that were kind of cartoony. Anyway, one day we came in, and it was like Eric was off the movie, Don Bluth was now in charge, John Pomeroy had redone the designs to look more like Mowgli, and Jungle Book, and we're like, wait yeah. a minute, what happened? And the Donkey, and I mean, it was a Christmas featurette that was done. So anyway, so I was working on that, and Cliff Norberg was doing this uh, auctioneer character. So I did the s- scenes that Cliff didn't do of that character, who sort of uh, looked a bit like Tony and Lady in the Tramp. They when they designed him, they kind of <laughs> I've seen the, pulled the some model, of the model sheets, yeah, sheets, and I'm like, yeah. well, okay. I mean, I liked Tony, and when I was at college, I had done a test with Tony because I just thought that was a cool design, the John Lonsbury uh, character from Lady in the Tramp. So. So I got to work on that, and again, Cliff really, you know, helped me with scenes, trying to make them clear, and you know, with timing and all that kind of stuff. So he was sort of my mentor at mm-hmm. that time. Yeah, when when I started, it was as I say before Cal Arts, and um, um, there weren't that many trainees that came before the whole Cal Arts generation. But the group, when I started, there was Don Bluth and Gary Goldman and John Pomeroy. Dale along Bear. with uh, Dale Bear and uh, Dick Sebast, Andy Gaskell, and then Glenn King came shortly after I started, and uh, and then Randy Cartwright and Ed Gombert, and that that was um, kind of the the pre Cal Arts group, and then the character animation started at Cal Arts, and then from that point on, I think the majority of people that came were were um, were, were from Cal, Cal Arts. Arts. No, I okay. didn't. Uh, and but all uh, my best friends did. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And uh, and Don Bluth was kind of the um, the leader of the uh, pre Cal Arts group, um, I would say. Although I think there was more of a schism between Don and and particularly the Cal Arts group, which even though I wasn't part of the Cal Arts group, I think I, I was friendlier with. Um, he was and, he was kind of a, a, a black, the black sheep of the Bluth group, where he <laughs> he questioned he didn't drink the Kool Aid that other people had, and, <laughs> and uh, so he was sort of not part of the religion. He was as it was like you know he. Ron was brought up in Catholic school as I was, and I still am a practicing Catholic. But Ron, very early in his upbringing, uh, 
developed a strong streak of both stubbornness and questioning authority and uh, <laughs> and resisting attempts to make him toe the line, which he developed in Catholic school, I think, as question like, why are we doing this? So I think he was sensitive to feeling that when someone he thought was perhaps manipulating him or something. So early on, even when we were there, he was in his own quiet way sowing the seeds of the revolution against Don. <laughs> revolution against the revolution. Revolution <laughs> against the revolution. That's true in a way because Don was trying to revolt, uh, trying to lead a, a, a coup or revolution to, you know, do, I, I think in a way, still Don, he was thinking, you know, films aren't that great the last few years and I'd like to get it back to Pinocchio if I can. And, and I think some of us even from college would support that idea in the abstract that, yeah, they were better before and they had kind of run off the rails and that, you know, production values and story had gone down and just the films weren't as good as the classic first ones and, and through the gold and silver age of animation and they had kind of become more, you know, just mundane and, and the animation wasn't as good, the production values weren't as good, the storytelling wasn't as good, everything seemed like it had kind of declined. And, right. Was that and hard so, to uh, get into that work? To get into the work they were doing. Yeah, Fox and Hound, for all these CalArts people that came on to that, even that we thought of, and even when we looked at Rescuers, we came around after Rescuers was being done, but I think most of us looked at Rescuers like, and although within the studio in a way, I think some people felt like that was a throwback, but for more of us who were looked at Pinocchio and that sort of stuff, we thought, this isn't Pinocchio. You're not doing something that's kind of cartoony and expressive the way Snow White and Pinocchio were. The thing, even when I started, the thing that was kind of being held up as the Holy Grail was a film that was projected pretty far in the future, but it was already sort of in work, and that was called The Black Cauldron. Mm -hmm. And it was sort of like The Black Cauldron was going to be the new generation Snow White. It was going to be the kind of pinnacle, and it was going to kind of bring back um, right. like sort of classic Disney in a way that, that may have uh, been uh, eluding the studio for a while. I, right. I think ultimately it didn't turn out that right. way. Mel Shaw, uh -huh. a veteran artist who had worked on Bambi even, did these beautiful pastels yeah. that sort of laid out the story and we'd go down the halls and see those and go, wow, they could, this seemed like it had more meat and more substance and it was darker and, and the books it was based on were really good. It seemed like a kind of pre-Harry really Potter, good characters, Potter. And it was kind of a Lord of the Rings, but, yeah. a, but a more little younger take than, than Lord of the Rings. And it, but it had great themes and great characters great visual possibilities but um, but there was a, a schism in its development that is it, it got going as it, again there were the studio was fracturing sort of in the 70s a little bit with the Cowards people going one way and the Bluth people going another way and some of the older veterans who had been kind of uh, suppressed under the the Frank and Ollie and Wooly and Nine Old Men regime they you know finally had their day in court or they wanted their day in court on Fox and Hound and even on Cauldron and so there was just a lot of I mean, things that, colliding I mean, the, at the time. The Fox and the Hound in its own way, aside from uh, the movie, and it, it's, a, it's a good movie, I think, but it, I think it had higher potential. But it's also interesting in that it's a movie that in terms of the old generation, the new generation, uh, and where things were and where things went, that everybody worked on Fox and the Hound mm -hmm. in some way. That included the older animators like Frank Thomas and Ollie Johnston and, and uh, Willie Reitherman worked on it for a while. The Bluth people worked on it early on. And it's the first film uh, that the Cal Arts people, like John Lasseter, Tim Burton, um, John Spock, John Musker, Chris Buck, got got their Darryl. sunk their teeth into. So so everybody, um, it seems like, and people like Bill Croy or Henry Selick just seem like Dan any, anybody. So many people that that sort of went on in animation in all kinds of different areas somehow all kind of met 
during mm-hmm. Fox and the Hound for, yeah. for a brief moment. Yeah, and Mark Dindle, too. Yeah. Mark Dindle, yeah. 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 Mark Dindle, yeah. yeah. Right. It's the crossroads. It was a crossroads. It was definitely a crossroads. And then out of that, you know, different paths, you know, Croyer left and went off into... Bluth uh, broke away during yeah. um, Fox and the Hound, started his own studio. and uh, Working with Frank and Ollie, was there pressure or was it, you know what I mean? Like, because they were, had been doing it for so long and, and you were working on the same show as them. Yeah, I would say there was a lot of, I always felt a lot of pressure. There was also, although there was a different, there, Milt was there too, um, and it, and Milt actually didn't mentor people because I think he didn't have a temperament for, for mentoring people, but he was there and he looked at your stuff mm-hmm. and Milt was extremely critical and he, just knowing that he was going to see what you animated, I think, made you feel nervous. And, and working with Frank, I mean, Frank certainly was a perfectionist and had, had extremely high standards. Um, I, I loved working with Frank, and I, I, I think that's one of the greatest things in my life was that I got a chance to work with Frank and look over his shoulder a little bit. Mm-hmm. But sometimes I have to admit I envied people who worked with Ollie Johnston because um, there was a different approach, I think. And, and Ollie, it just seemed to me, made animation look easy. It wasn't easy, but he made it look easy or seem easy. And Frank made it seem impossible, <laughs> as I say, as the, the impossible dream that that um, that something like he'd been striving his whole life and and never really felt like he achieved his goal. So to me, that was daunting. Yeah. I would say, yeah. certainly daunting. Yeah, Ron really worked with Frank. We I was peripherally worked with them, and but I I think we knew they would kind of look at your stuff, and you always I think felt the weight not only of them but of the past Disney films, just even you know like that's kind of legacy and those are so great and if your work was going to be up against them you know how could it measure i think anyone that comes here feels that i know yeah Yeah. and certainly i think we both um i think john and i we were really inspired by the disney films as kids and particularly pinocchio i think was a film we both really um were kind of overwhelmed by 101 dalmatians for me also was a film that i just sort of went crazy about so so i aspired to work at disney um since I was a kid, I had read about Disney, anything I could find on Disney. So I had some sense of, of who those people were and mm-hmm. what they had done. So, so it, it was intimidating. Cool. Of course, I, you know, I, we're packing up our offices right now. So I'm finding some of my animation drawings from Fox and the Hound even that I had done. And I haven't animated in a long time, although I'm hoping someday to get back to it. But when I see these drawings, I'm like, wow, this is bad. I mean, I just feel, <laughs> I really feel like, if I'd stayed with it, I think I would have gotten better. I certainly had a lot of room to grow, but I, I feel like, yeah, whew. It's like it wasn't, wasn't very well, good. Just getting into it a little bit from, and of course we're talking about 2D drawn animation, which is a thing future generations will probably never quite understand. But they actually, the animators actually held pencils in their hand and actually made drawings on paper that, that they that then were photographed or, or painted on cells, but um, you're saying but, this for posterity. Or saying, say, say more, yeah. say, saying this for posterity, but um, most people think of animation in the, or most people when it was drawing thought of animation as the drawing, and you talk about the drawing, and, and a lot of people were overwhelmed by the amount of drawings you had to do, and that seemed to be the thing that that people are amazed at with animation. You actually had to have to do thousands and thousands of drawings. Um, but the emphasis at Disney wasn't so much on the drawing. Um, that was almost something that you needed to master or try to master and get past because the emphasis was totally on, on the acting and, and, and the performance. And um, even someone like Frank Thomas, I think, would say that he, he was not a superb draftsman. He forced himself to become 
a, a good draftsman just by hard, hard work and dedication, but unlike, say, people like Milt Call or Mark Davis, who, who were sort of naturally superb draftsmen, mm -hmm. but Frank was a superb actor, and, and there was just so much emphasis about acting and character and getting into the character and getting inside the character, giving the character, making the character feel like he's thinking and having the audience know what the character's thinking all the time. And that's really what, what the emphasis was on. And, and, and so even among, I'd say, the, 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 the newer generation, there were excellent draftsmen and there were struggling draftsmen. I certainly was a struggling draftsman. I never felt like, um, like I could draw at all to any satisfaction that I wanted to be able to draw. But, um, but people like John Pomeroy, Andy Gaskell, Glenn Keane were really good draftsmen. Yeah, I would yeah. Say. Mm -hmm. yeah. And then we would—you'd always try to get drawings from from the better draftsmen to help you if you're, yeah. if you're struggling with your drawings. Now it's like kind of that is out of the equation almost completely. Yeah, yeah. What would you say is something that people that want to become animators should really focus on? I'm sure it's like partly the Frank Thomas ideas well, I, of I would acting. Think, and I, I don't have any way of knowing this, but I would think that Frank. Thomas would have been a good CG animator right. and might analytical, have really enjoyed that because yeah. he was analytical and he was a musician. I mean, he was a great musician and, and the way he thought and the way he approached it. And, and the drawing was frustrating to him. That was something he had to work past. But I think a guy like Mel Call would have been, I guess, a little like Andreas Deja is now. I mean, the, the drawing is so much a part of it for him that, that I don't think he would, he would have enjoyed like it And like Ollie all. Johnson, I feel like his drawings were so effortless that you know, I feel like Mark Henn in some ways was a slightly modern-day Ollie Johnson maybe in some ways in that he drew loosely but really powerfully and effectively, mm -hmm. and yet that when you move into the CG world, that doesn't, you know, that effortlessness of, you know, just sort of writing it out doesn't necessarily translate. Yeah. And so it's it would be frustrating for those people, I would think. And that concludes part one with Ron and John. The phone hotline's been a little quiet, but here's a message I received since the last show. Yeah, hi, my name is Josh Carrollhawk, and I am an animator in Iowa City, Iowa, and I want to, uh, first of all, say great job. I'm uh, listening right now to the interview with Andreas Deja, and I've followed his work for a long time. I didn't know it was his, but, you know, all you had to say is Lilo, and that, that says it all. And um, I wanted to say I particularly enjoy, in the second part, the discussion of the Milk Call 2s versus Richard Williams 1s, because uh, I personally think that you can use both of them. You know, the 1s are good for some stuff, and the 2s are good for some stuff. And then, you know, there's Miyazaki guys that do it on 3s and sometimes even 4s for budgetary reasons. But, you know, keep up the good work. This is really great stuff. One thing that I would like to see is if there are taped interviews with Milk Call and uh, interviews with Miyazaki, interviews with anybody that you can get the rights to, I would dearly love to, uh, to see that. And the other thing I wanted to note is that this last month, two months, there's been an explosion of animation weblogs. And if, you know, I've thrown the link to your site on mine, and I know that there's just a ton more. So the community is really pulling together, and I think you have something to do with that. So good work to you. Thanks. Bye. Hey Josh, thanks for the call. You know, there are a ton of animation blogs out there right now, and I try to keep up to date with most of them. Um, I'll put a link in the show notes to my Bloglines account. That way you can check it out and see if there are any interesting animation blogs that I've been reading that you might like. And as far as me getting audio for animation interviews, I'm open to people contacting me if you have anything. So let me get to that information. If you would like to take part, you can always go to the website at animationpodcast.com. There you can comment on any of the posts. 
You can also find my email, which is animationpodcast at gmail.com. And finally, you can find the feedback hotline number, which is area code 206-666-2668. And possibly an easier way to remember that is 206-666-AN-M-8. That spells animate. That will wrap it up for show seven. We'll continue with Ron and John part two next time. So until then, thanks for tuning in.